0: We are going to get started here. If you can find your seats. We are in Colossians chapter 2. We are continuing through the book of Colossians. And as we get to chapter 2, we'll go through some stuff. As Stephen mentioned, I'm not feeling the greatest, but um, don't have any clever stories or analogies this morning because I didn't get as much time as that I would have liked to to fine tune this. But uh, I'm really encouraged by the word this morning and we're just going to instead of having any bits of Nate in it, which is probably a good thing, we're just going to have the word. So we're going to start by reading through Colossians chapter 2, we're going to read through 1 through 15, if you would stand with me as we read that, starting at verse 1, Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him "...rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by a philosophy and empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him." who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh. By the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this powerful truth, the reminder of our redemption in Christ. And Father, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, that we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged, that we would seek to respond in a way that is holy and pleasing to you. We pray all of this, that it would be done for your glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Please be seated. I want to give a little bit of uh, background in this chapter because it starts with 4, which is a preposition which indicates that there's something that he has said prior. Um, if you go back, and I want to read this real briefly, chapter 1 verses 24 through 29 is really the uh, uh, preemptive Statement to what is being stated here that we're going to look at in verse 1. So, starting at verse 24, it says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. For the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all energy that He powerfully works within me. And then He jumps into verse one four. What I want you to know, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And He goes on. Uh, I want to summarize that passage, and I want you to to, to not take it and 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 get misdirected by a number of things. Um, the passage is essentially Paul saying, and, and, and he starts in verse 1, he says, I want you to know that the reason I just told you all of that is because of this. I want you to know that I told you all of that because I want you to know how much I am toiling and struggling and laboring to present the gospel to people so that I can take them to Jesus and they can be presented to through the blood of Jesus as perfect and holy, justified. That's essentially what Paul says in, in 24 through, through 29. He's saying this, this is my ministry. My ministry is that I am toiling, that I am struggling. I am pouring my heart out into preaching the gospel so that the church can come to know Jesus and be presented to God mature. And then he starts verse 1 of chapter 2 and he says, I am toiling at this. And I want you to know, why does he want us to know he is toiling? I think there's two reasons in this text why Paul wants us to know why he is toiling. First of all, for our encouragement. He wants the people, and he tells us who his audience is, and by the way, you are included in that audience. He says, I want you, meaning the Colossian, Colossians, I want those at Laodicea and all who have not seen me face to face. I don't know anyone in this room who has seen Paul face to face. Therefore, this message is for you. I want all to be what? What? Why is he toiling? He says in verse 2 that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Be encouraged for what? To reach full assurance is what he says. To reach full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ. Here's what Paul wants us to be encouraged to do. This is his exhortation of encouragement for us and for all those to whom he is presented. Remember, his toil is that people would come to know Jesus. He wants people to come to know Jesus so that he can be uh, able to present them to God, and because of God's work through Jesus Christ in a person's life who has received the truth of the gospel, they can be presented as perfect or mature in Christ. And Paul is toiling for this, and he's sharing his toil because he wants people to be encouraged, because he wants people to reach and see the full riches of a confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. Paul says, I want you to be encouraged to reach out for the full assurance that you have in Jesus. We talk about Colossians being the fullness of Christ. And brothers and sisters, this morning this passage is all about the fullness of Christ. And and really the title today is just simply this, Christ is Enough. The fullness of Christ. That if we would just realize, note a couple of things about this passage, about this assurance. Paul says it is rich. It is rich. Why is it rich? How is it rich? It is rich because it is deep. It is a resource that we can stand upon and know without a shadow of doubt there there is nothing that can ever remove us from the confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. It is a deep resource. It is rich because it removes fear, it removes despair and doubt. We have a society today that is filled with depression to the tune of billions and billions of dollars being spent on antidepressant medications. And and there are things in this world that we are filled with anxiety, and I get it. I have anxiety in my life from time to time. I get it. But brothers and sisters, Paul says, I want you to reach and then be encouraged to do this reaching for the full assurance because it removes doubt and despair and depression. It's rich because it does those things. It's rich because it also gives satisfaction. It gives joy. It gives hope. Have you ever met a person who is fully confident in the Lord? They are satisfied in life. They are not looking for the next best thing. They are satisfied in tune with Jesus Christ and they desire Him and Him alone. Man, I can't tell you how much I would desire to be that. Always filled with the joy and the hope and the knowledge that I have that deep, rich assurance. And we can't because of Christ. Not only is it rich, Paul says that it is Something that is full of understanding and knowledge. It comes from faith. It comes from faith. An understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, Paul says. I want you to understand the mystery. Brothers and sisters, don't get too confused when Paul uses the term mystery. He refers, he uses this term, and I love how Stephen gave us a big backdrop last week about what was going on and in Colossae, and, and we have uh, what an important backdrop to have that they're dealing with this philosophical stuff that's going on, and you'll see as we walk through the rest of this passage, that's exactly what Paul is dealing with, that people were being told that there is a mystery that we need to achieve. There's something more out there. There's something that we need to, to understand. And guess what? There's nothing new under the sun. We have the same philosophies and ideas that are creeping in today. And they're telling you that there's something that we have to understand and know. Well, here's the mystery that Paul is referencing. It is Christ that in the days before Jesus came, there was a lack of understanding of how God was going to reveal His redemptive plan and what He was going to do to redeem mankind and And as angels long to see into this thing, and this great mystery was there, and suddenly Jesus steps onto the earth. He lives a perfect and holy life. He dies for mankind's sin. And He is raised again on the third day. And the mystery is revealed that Jesus Christ is the solution. And Paul says, you can have full assurance through faith. Brothers and sisters, if you go out of this building, and you encounter the world, I can promise you that there is more fear, doubt, and anxiety in the world that does not know Christ because they do not understand the mystery. And we have assurance because we know the answer. And not only does Paul encourage us for this for this assurance, and we see this assurance, it's, it's rich, it comes from faith, it is complete in Christ. In Him, all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We are made to desire to understand things. That's why people like mysteries, right? They like to try and understand things. If you watch a good movie, you're, you're trying to figure out the plot. We're trying to understand because we are created in the image of God and He is wise and He is uh, sovereign and He has things worked in incredible ways. And so we're trying to figure these things out. And, and Paul says, in Christ, all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are there. Paul's toil is so that those who come to faith can have assurance that Christ is enough in the face of what the world and its false ideas is trying to sell. That's Paul's toil and his encouragement for us. And so he says, I don't want you to get confused. I don't want you to, you know, when these philosophers come in and when the world tells you that's not how it is and they present plausible arguments, he says, believable things. You know, it sounds logical. We sit here and we say, but science tells us this. Guess what? The Bible has been proving science wrong over and over and over again and it will continue to do so. Because the mysteries and the wisdom and the knowledge of God is presented in it and in it we find the truth. And so no matter what the world tries to tell us, the reality is this, that God in Christ has fulfilled His truth. And so Paul says, go to Him, go to Him, go to Him. So when somebody comes, I don't want you to be deluded with plausible arguments. I don't want you to be taken astray. He says, I have confidence that even though I'm not with you, I've heard of your faith and your firmness. In Christ. I said there were two reasons I think that Paul is, is t- wanting them to know his toil. The first is for encouragement, and the second is for exhortation. So Paul goes through this and he and he goes through verses the first five verses and he says, For this I want you to know how great I've toiled, and, and he goes on, and then he starts in verse six with that, that wonderful word that we Ask the question, what's it there for, right? Therefore, a transition in light of this, in light of the encouragement that we would strive to reach full assurance. In light of that, Paul says, therefore, exhortation, two commands. Two commands that come back to a central point that we're going to land on. Number one, he says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Number one, walk in Him. What does that mean? Well, what I love about Paul. And what I hate about going through teaching these types of texts is that you have run-on sentence after run-on sentence after run-on sentence. If you didn't notice, the first sentence of this chapter ends in like verse 3. So you have to take and you have to pause and break down these passages and you have to walk through it. So what I love about Paul here is that he tells us exactly what it means to walk in Him. Look at it. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. As you received Christ, how did you receive Christ? Belief and faith, right? You believe the truth of who He was, and you said, I'm going to trust that truth, and I'm going to put my life and my eternity in that truth. And so Paul says, walk in that way believing that Jesus is the truth and in the hope that he is going to redeem us and we can walk in that truth. And and he says then he specifies exactly how we can further do that. He says a number of things. Number one, he says rooted and built up in him, established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. How do we walk in him? We are rooted in him. Rooted in him. Do you know what that means? That means that we are embedded and we take our life, our very nutrients, our sustenance, the very thing that allows us to walk and the very thing that is who we are, and we place that and we embed it into Jesus Christ. How do we do that? I'd ask a simple question. Are you every day spending time with him? Are you spending time with Him daily that when you wake up, you're saying, I'm going to root my day into Jesus Christ? Because if you're not, you're not rooting yourself in Him and you're going to walk out the door of your house and you are going to find yourself in a world that has all kinds of vain philosophies and ideas and you will be swayed to and fro in every which way. We must start our day rooted in Him and, and placing ourselves solely into Him. But he doesn't just say rooted, he says built up. Growth comes from being in him. Are you growing spiritually or just stagnant? How do you avoid vain philosophies and ideas? How did the church at Colossae, as Paul is away from them, never having actually set foot in there, how is he exhorting them so that they are not swayed by all the philosophers that come in and the world that says this is how you do it? He says you have to be rooted in him and you have to be growing in him, built up in him. Notice what it says, and we are going to come back and hammer this. It is in him. Brothers and sisters, it does not say in Paul Tripp or in John Piper or in John MacArthur. It says in him, in him, we must be built up in Christ because he is enough. He says rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. It has to be centrally positioned in the word of God. Brothers and sisters, a gathering without the Word of God is not church. Because how can we know Christ except the Word proclaims it? Romans 10 says that how can we believe except we hear? And faith comes by hearing and hearing from the Word of God. Faith is established only in the presence of the Word of God. That Jesus Christ says, in me you find salvation. I love as these kids quoted, uh, uh, I think it was Caitlin said, Acts 4.12, that there is no other name whereby salvation comes but Jesus Christ. So Paul is challenging them and he says, I want you to be established in the faith. That means to be rooted, that we are spending time with Jesus Christ, that we are building ourselves up by by being abiding in Him, that we are spending time in the Word so that our faith is established on that very fact, that it is centrally positioned on the Word of God. And then he says, and abounding in thanksgiving. How can we not be but abounding in thanksgiving if we are in the Word and we see the declarations of the truth of who God is and what He has done? for us. What is response? I have walked through this in my mind for a number of weeks now. How do we as a church gather and walk out of here in such a way that we don't just walk in and walk out every Sunday unchanged? Cuz I don't need that and you certainly don't need it either. But how do we walk in here? We we sing songs, we listen to somebody talk for a while, and then we walk out, how do we change that in a way that we can walk in and we are changed when we leave? I think response is this, that we hear the Word, and because we see who God is, we worship Him. We see who we are, and we cry out to Him. And we see what He desires of us, and we act upon it. And the reality is, the more and the more I see what God has done for me, and when I am doing these things, when I am rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, my natural position is thank you, God. I said there were two exhortations, and that's only one. Walk in Him. Paul says, therefore, as you receive Christ in light of I wanting you to see the assurance because you have the full assurance that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and has done for you, eternal reward is, is available for you because of that assurance that we can stand in that position of faith because of that, walk in him, and verse 8: See to it that no one takes you captive. Guard your heart. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and and not according to Christ. Guard. Guard against philosophies and empty deceits according to human traditions, according to the elemental, the mystical stuff, the, the, the new age stuff, the spirits of this world. Guard against anything. And this is the key. He says not according to Christ. If it's not according to Christ, you should cast it out. It's not worth anything. Why guard? Because all the philosophies and deceits have one purpose. To take our eyes off Jesus. To take our eyes off Jesus. The world hates Christ. And it will use whatever it can to divert our attention from Him. That's the reality. And so it's going to bring in philosophies. Brothers and sisters, as a church, we can so easily get wrapped up in in causes that are not Christ. We can get wrapped up in causes that are good, but they're not Christ. The reality is, anything not according to Christ is vain philosophy and deceit. Why guard? Because life is satisfied in Him. I want you to catch this. In this passage, Paul uses the phrase, in Him, six times. We talk about the fullness of Christ. In Him. In Him. In Him. In Him. Not only just in Him, but also three times with Him. In him, in him, in him, in him. Are you catching on? With him, with him, in him. That's what Paul wants the, the Colossians to see. That's what Paul wants those who do not see him face to face. The exhortation guard against anything that is not in him or with him. And you can add to it for him. Note the satisfaction of being in him. Paul says it for us, starting at verse nine, he says, for in him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily in him. He is fully God. You want to know what Christ is? He is fully God. At no point did he ever cease to be fully God. Anything that teaches you otherwise is a lie. Fully God, that means he has all power, he has all knowledge, he has all glory and supremacy. This is Christ, he is not lacking in anything. But not only does Paul say, in him is the fullness of God, the deity dwells bodily, but he says in verse 10, and you have been, what? Filled in him. Do You realize what that means, brothers and sisters, that Christ is in you. The full God is in you dwells bodily within you, poured into you the all authority. Therefore, you need not fear. He says, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. There is no rule above all. There is no rule that is supreme to him. There is nothing above him. You need not fear. That's satisfaction. But not only that, he spends the rest of this chapter with the greatest of all these truths for us. He says in verse 11, In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In Him you are made new. You want satisfaction in Christ? Look at what he says. Circumcision without hands. Removal of our sinful nature. He cut it out says, you don't have to do this anymore. Circumcision, a removal of sin, burial, and death to it. No more, you don't have to. You are, you are able to say, I don't want this anymore. And then he goes on, he says, and in him you were dead in your trespasses, and in the circumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him. 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You want satisfaction in this life God has made you new by removing your sinful nature and making you alive. And, he says in verse 15, he disarmed, well, I'm sorry, starting at verse uh, uh, 14, by canceling the record of de- of uh, uh, debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. God took all of the the, the arguments against you and he nailed it to the cross and he canceled the debt by taking the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, and he said, no more, no one can stand to accuse you in Him. Brothers and sisters, this is an incredible truth. That's why Paul, later, or earlier on to the Romans, when he writes to him, he said, who shall separate us from the love of God? No one. Who shall stand to condemn you? It is Christ who condemns. And He has died for your sins. He will not condemn you. Brothers and sisters, this is an incredible truth that we should realize that if we can look at it, we will find satisfaction in Christ. In Christ. And so Paul says the two exhortations. He says, walk in Him root yourself, build yourself, establish yourself in Him. Guard yourself. Because when we are dissatisfied with something, that's when we start looking elsewhere. You want to know why marriages break down? Because we become dissatisfied with our spouse. Lies creep in. Because that's what they are. They're lies. They're lies from the enemy. And it slowly turns our hearts to deceit and vanity. And we begin looking elsewhere. And Paul says, find your satisfaction in Christ and realize. And so Paul reminds the Colossians, he reminds us today, this is what you have in Christ. He is enough. Do not guard your heart against looking to other vain ideas, anything that is not rooted in Jesus Christ. Christ is enough. Paul's toil for people to see Jesus is because he knows that in him is everything. I just want to ask you, are you satisfied in him this morning? Oh, my heart struggles so many times. Fickleness, right? I need this. I need that. If only I can get to this. If I can only reach this uh, uh, position. If I can only get one more animal for my house, I'll be happy. Whatever it is. We are always looking for the next things instead of looking to Him who satisfies. Stop looking to everything and anything else to find satisfaction in this life. He is enough. Vain philosophies today, nothing is new today. I mean, you look at the philosophies that are out there, uh, even in the Christian realm. We need the gospel plus. We need the gospel plus Happiness. We need to be happy with our life. We need the gospel plus self gratification. We need the gospel plus an external experience. We need the gospel plus community and social justice. And so we champion causes. Brothers and sisters, this world does not need causes to be championed by the church, it needs the church to uphold its champion. Because in the gospel, racial breakdowns fall apart. If we present the truth of the gospel, these things dissipate. Anything not centered on Christ is a vain philosophy. And I'm not saying we shouldn't take up some of these causes. But I'm saying our focus ought to be on presenting the truth of Jesus Christ. That in Him, there is no red, yellow, black, or white. that There is one race, the children of God. People don't need social reform. They need Jesus. And the sad part is, so oftentimes, these causes, these tendencies take our eyes off Jesus. They're more palatable to the world because the world hates Him. So I want to take some time right now. Because I've been thinking through this a lot. How do we respond? We're going to take communion in a little bit. But before we do, can we just repent to the Lord? Can we examine our hearts and see what areas we need to ask God for, for, for making blank my need instead of finding satisfaction in Him? Can we take some time to just cry out to Him and say, God, forgive me that You have not been my satisfaction? I'm going to have Stephen come up and Kyle, the band. And I want us to just pray When we talk about communion, we say it's partaking of fellowship with the Lord. And what it is, is it's saying that Christ's death, His burial, and His resurrection are my satisfaction. It's saying that in Him, I am celebrating the fact that I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And I want my heart cry to be that I am fully satisfied in that and I don't need anything else. And I stand before you all saying that this is a weakness for me. That I find things attractive. That I want to run to and I want to fill my life with things that aren't Him. And then when we're done praying, I want you to find someone. Write their name down. Ask them as soon as the service is over to hold you accountable. Accountable that you would root yourself and build yourself up in Christ by spending time with Him every day. That we would be the body of Christ that would say, we are going to walk together and not alone. That the reason we gather is not because we are a bunch of individuals, but that we are one body built together. When we work together, we see the body grow. So as they play, if we would take some time to come before the Lord, to confess our sin, to ask Him to forgive us, and what a wonderful thing First John 1 tells us, that He is faithful and just to cl- forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then to find somebody. Find somebody before you leave today. And make this practical in your daily life. Make it personal. Because He is enough. He is enough for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that in Jesus we find satisfaction. Father, we thank You that in Jesus is our hope of salvation. Father, I pray if there is anyone here today that does not have their hope in You, that today would be a day that they would realize that the sin in their life is going to condemn them to hell. And that there is no amount of scrubbing and cleaning and work that they can do that will ever make it right. That they can live a life of giving thousands upon thousands to the church and to the poor, And it will never be enough. That they could go to church every single Sunday and it will never be enough. That they could serve as a teacher. That there is never enough. But in one fell swoop, you came. You lived and you died for them. That your blood was poured out to make satisfaction that in my place you died and my sin was cast upon you and you took it and you died. You were buried. On the third day you rose from the dead conquering sin and death and you offer to us new life for all who believe in you. And Father, I pray that our hearts would cry out, Amen, and we would believe that with all of our hearts and we'd find satisfaction in that and we would proclaim that truth from ear to ear. And Father, we thank you. We ask this morning that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you have taken that time, come. Come and celebrate that he is enough. Celebrate. Christ is enough.